Hello, hello. Just before we get into this episode, I have to let you know about an exciting film event coming up in Central Arkansas. January the 12th, 2024, at The Joint in North Little Rock, Art House Garage is hosting a film screening. I've been working with The Joint to get some film things going. We're hoping this will be the first of many. For this inaugural screening, we are showing a film called Come Early Morning, which was written and directed by Joey Lauren Adams. You may know her better as an actor. She's in Chasing Amy and a lot of the Jay and Silent Bob movies. She's in Dazed and Confused. She's in Big Daddy and lots of other things. She's also going to be there for a live Q&A, which I'm hosting and I'm so excited about. The film Come Early Morning played Sundance in 2006, and it stars Ashley Judd, Jeffrey Donovan, Tim Blake Nelson, and Laura Prepon. Uh, oh, and did I mention it was also filmed in Little Rock and North Little Rock, so it's the perfect film to play for our first North Little Rock screening. If you've never been to The Joint, it's a great comedy club. It has a full bar and a cafe, which will be open for business, so you can grab a popcorn and a beer for the movie. The film starts at 7 p.m. Doors will open at 6.30. Tickets are $15 or $20 at the door. You can get your tickets ahead of time at thejointargenta.com. That link is also in the show notes of this episode. One more thing, a special VIP meet and greet with Joey Lauren Adams is happening from 5.30 to 6.30 ahead of that 7 o'clock screening. Details on how to attend that are at thejointargenta.com as well. I hope you'll come out January 12th. In the future, we hope to screen a mix of local films like this, as well as other art house and classic films that you don't get to see on the big screen often, but we can only keep doing it if people show up. So I hope you'll make it out for Come Early Morning on January 12th. Okay, on with the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today on the show, it's a very exciting episode. It's our best of the year special. Film critic Russell Miller is joining me for this best of the year talk. Uh, You're listening to part one. We're going to talk about our favorite performances and our favorite scenes, as well as several other genres and technical categories. And then next week in part two, we'll talk about our top 10 films of 2023. Stay tuned. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to Art House Garage. 2023 is almost over and it's been quite a year for movies. As I have done previous years, I love to do an end of the year recap episode or two to talk about the best movies of the year, the best movie scenes of the year, um, the best performances of the year, all kinds of things. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. My guest is frequent collaborator on the podcast here, Russell Miller, film critic in North Carolina. And we're going to be going through a lot of different categories and things as we talk through our best films of the year. Russell, welcome back to the show. And how are you? Doing good. Guess who's back, back again. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, You're always uh, not only available, but eager. So uh, I 
keep on coming back as long as you want uh, and and you know willing to make the time because i assume uh, we're going to talk for quite a while on this episode and the next so the plan just to lay it out there is uh it's going to be two episodes for best of the year in this one part one we're going to talk through a lot of categories our favorite comedy of the year favorite horror movie of the year our favorite cinematography of the year, screenplays, directors, uh, a lot of different categories, which is mostly informed by our own ballots because both of us are in film critics associations. And these are the things that we have voted on recently. Um, and so in just a minute, we'll talk about how our ballots work for our individual organizations, just because I think that's interesting. But first we did this last year and we're going to do it again. We have a little wager, um, and I'm going to try to explain it, but you, do you want to just explain it actually, Russell? <laughs> what the wager is? Yeah. So last year we each picked a number um, that we're going to like speculate of number of films that we have overlapping that made both of our lists. Our top 10. Every yeah. year we've had some overlap going back to like 2010, um, except for the mid year list this year, we had no overlap, but every year yeah. we had like, between one and three, I think last year we actually had three movies that hit both of our lists. So we're going to yes. take a, a gamble on C and uh, who can who can get the closest at least to yeah. uh, number of films that we both have in our top I mean, 10. So yeah, what that looks like for me is I'm looking at my top 10 and like, which of these does Russell also have on his top 10? Which yeah. is to say, we don't know what's on each other's list right now. We're surprising each other intentionally as we go here. I don't think I finished explaining. So part one will be the, these different categories. Part two, a new episode will be our top 10, our favorite 10 films of the year. And we'll go back and forth. Um, and so what we're going to do right now is wager how many we think we have in common. And then at the end of episode two, we will then revisit and figure out um, who has won the wager. Um, and so I think that I get to guess first this year because I lost last year. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the, the terms of the wager are whoever loses has to buy the other one a movie, right? So you, you uh, did me, I buy you? bought me The Good Boss last year. That's right. Was, it was The Good Boss. I thought it was Poser yeah. for a second. Hey, no, it's The Good hey, Boss. Century, um, did the, the Oscars a couple of years ago, and that was a... Uh, that was quite a delight. I really liked that movie. That was on my top 10, mm-hmm. which I think was why, and I don't think you had seen it. That's so, right. Yes. And then you actually end up buying me a movie anyway, too. You got me uh, Banshees of Inishirin. Yeah. <laughs> so nice, because I love that <laughs> movie, too. And I... Oh, well, fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for my guess, then. Um, I was really torn on this, but my guess is going to be three. I think we will have three <clears throat> films in common on our top 10s. And, and that would be a real kind of shock because the first couple of years, I think we had two in 2020 and only one in 2021. And then I think two again the year before. And then last year was the yeah. first time we hit three. But man, I'm looking at the movies this year and I'm like, <laughs> there's, I know there's at least two. So if but but if you go with three, I don't. I just can't bring myself to go with four. So I'm gonna. I, I gotta go. I gotta slide down to two. 
All right. I was between three and four, actually. So I. It's it's going to be wild. <laughs> I think you're probably right, though. It's also funny because you know we've known each other for another year, and you know we're texting about movies all the time. So in a yeah. sense, I should be able to guess better, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> um, we'll I filled out that. my predictions for your ten, so I'm going to see see how many of those I actually. Get <laughs> you right. actually wrote out a whole top ten of what you think I'm going to choose. That's right. <laughs> wow. You know I'm. Amazing. You know I do lists. Like I just I just do them like. That's something that I do. Most <laughs> list-centric person I've ever met. Well, let's talk about our um, ballots really quick. So because they work a little bit differently, I'm in the Southeastern Film Critics Association. And for our end-of-the-year ballot, we um, it's just a list of categories, uh, which most of which we're going to talk about today. And we just choose our top three. Um, so my number one for this category, two and three, and then our top 10 of movies of the year. And so it's things like best animated film, best score, best adapted screenplay, original screenplay. Um, so my plan for this is we're mostly just going to talk about our number one choices just to yeah. save time. But also I might sometimes be like, oh, I almost put this at number one, but ended up being this, that kind of thing. Um, so mine was just a straight one, two, three on all the categories. And it's less categories than you as well. Tell us about your ballot. Yeah, so our uh, well, I, my uh, my ballot. I haven't even gotten it yet. Well, I don't know if you've gotten yours, but I've I've already submitted. Like our, we go through the process of nominating films, which is what I did last weekend. We send in all the movies that we, as individual critics in the group, want to see appear on the actual ballots, and then we get the ballots back with all the top choices from the group com- combined. And then we have those left to select from. Um, and yeah, I have a few more categories than, than uh, the Southeastern Film Critics. The North Carolina Film Critics have a few more categories. Um, I can't remember which ones yours had. So yeah, like you guys, I, you showed me yours. You have like production design and um, you guys have costumes ensemble. and hair and makeup. We do have ensemble. Yeah, ensemble. We have Best breakthrough performance, I think we have. We actually don't have breakthrough. Yeah, that's breakthrough performance. So different things like that. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah it's so interesting because you have the whole process of nominating and then you get a ballot with like, here's your pre-selected choices, right? Yeah. Where, yeah, mine is just open-ended. Any three movies from this year that streamed or uh, hit theaters originally this year. So yeah, it's interesting that it's different. Um, and I had something else to say about it, but I forgot. But anyway, oh yeah, I was going to say, yes, I have already turned in my ballot. And in fact, the the results are back and everything too. Like I actually, I need to post it on my website of here's what Sefka said is the best. Uh, I'll tell you later. Cause I don't want to give you a hint about the thing that my votes influenced you on or influenced our winners. Anyway. Um, but yeah, our winners are already out for Sefka. Um, okay. I already talked about the categories. Now we're just going to do number one, except for the actors we are going to do all three or top three. Uh, I think cause yours has five, right? Mine just yeah, I have five that I'm allowed to nominate per per category. So I think let's do three for the actors, and then we will do at the end. I haven't mentioned yet our favorite movie moments, favorite scenes, uh, etc. Um, and I think we each have several of those, like ten or something, and yeah. we'll go back and forth. Um, so the goal with this is just to like talk about as many movies as we can. Uh, it's just fun to talk movies in a in a kind of a. a macro sense at the end of the year so yeah yeah uh i think with all of that out of the way are we ready to get into it let's go all right first thing 
this is not on either of our ballots. It's just one that I like to do. The first three are actually like genre things. First one is going to be your favorite comedy of the year. What was your favorite comedy this year, Russell? Uh, there was a few comedies that I really enjoyed. Um, and because we're kind of going through like the entire genre, like I won't just drop my favorite comedy, uh, sure. but a couple of them that I liked, uh, again, out of, out of Sundance, if, if you're looking for like a really great rom-com, Rye Lane was just so much fun. Um, if you're looking for like real cringe comedy, if like that's up your alley, uh, a movie called Biosphere. Oh yeah, um, I never caught that. Oh my goodness, that movie just, it is a, uh, a mind F. <laughs> it just like screws with your brain. Um, cat person was another funny one, but just like super cringe where you're just like, you know, like stabbing your mind's eye as you're watching what you're seeing. <laughs> like, no, uh, it was, I think earlier this year I mentioned Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Chris Pine's fantastic in that. Um, but yeah, by far my, my number one comedy of the year was, uh, was Dick's the musical. And, uh, yeah, just like laugh after laugh. And um, that movie will not be for everybody. Like that movie has a <laughs> very not. selective target audience that like I kind of guessed that me and Andrew would like land in. So <laughs> as soon as I saw it and I was like cracking up, I I texted him that he needed to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you told me probably like roar. 50 times. Like, you gotta watch Dicks. You gotta watch Dicks the musical. Yeah, I, <laughs> I finally did I yesterday. I your yeah, podcast until you watched it. <laughs> exactly. I was like, he's not gonna do this if I don't take that. And I did watch it last night and I did love it. I thought it was very, very funny. Uh, I think that you probably like it more than me, but I still really thought it was hilarious um and i think i was i'm talking about cringing like the end the whole end sequence oh is so outrageous um but really so funny awful. a lot of really that the musical numbers are all hilarious uh yeah really enjoyed it. I'm, i thank you for encouraging me to watch it uh, because i really did enjoy it a whole lot yeah um, like certain demographics like that like if, if family guy humor like kind of extreme family guy humor like is not your thing you probably <laughs> won't enjoy Dix the musical you could you know go check out something else <laughs> but, well i'll tell you what know, i thought of right off the bat was like, like you're a little old um, you might enjoy like holdovers or something a little more but <laughs> Dix won't be a, up your alley yeah watch the trailer and see if you think it's gonna appeal to you but i mean it's got like Bo and yang as god for he instance like that's kind of like, he's hilarious and i think so i was gonna say like the the thing i thought of first right off the bat was it reminded me of like monty python things because it <laughs> opens with this text scroll that says the two leads in this movie are uh the characters are straight but they are bravely played by two gay men and <laughs> like they keep saying how brave this is and so it's yeah. got this tech like these text jokes right because like holy grail movie always had that that yeah. intro with all the crazy text um but it's that level of zany and just like uh it's wild. Of envelope pushing um but yeah, yeah i thought it was really really funny <laughs> well my favorite comedy of the year i mean dicks was in the in the 
running because I really did like it. But the one I keep thinking about is Bottoms. That movie made me laugh so much. It was I had a great experience with it too because I went with like a group of friends that were like really into the the comedy of it. Um, and I just think Rachel Seligman is so she is also the director of Shiva Baby a couple years ago, which I yeah. loved as well. I did not expect this movie to be so zany because it it is like it reminded me of like not another teen movie like that kind of like yeah. just absurdity all the time. But something like not another teen movie is like full of like the misogynistic humor and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. This is from, from a, a queer female director. And so like it's skewering a lot of the misogyny and stuff. And it's really, really funny. Uh, just really clever and uh, some great performances. It's got, That's the one I think. It's got like some great, just kind of throwaway jokes. Like they're, they're <laughs> eating at a restaurant that's called, but I'm a diner. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like stupid stuff like that. I was crying. Um, it's yeah, so good. So good. <laughs> so good. Well, let's move on to our next category, which is your favorite horror movie of the year. What was your favorite horror movie? Um, there was there was a few good ones this year. I, I just told you about it the other day when Evil Lurks was probably oh, nice. pound for pound the scariest. Um, again, I it wasn't like over the top, like petrifying, but, uh, but it is a, um, it is in Spanish. It's only, I think it's available on AMC. Like if you get the AMC app, you get like a free week trial or whatever. So I just downloaded that and, uh, and watched when evil lurks. Yeah. So when evil lurks was a pretty, uh, pretty intense experience. Um, a couple other ones were pretty good. Um, Skin Marink, as much as that mm. movie was like kind of experimental and like through periods of it, it was like nothing really happened. Um, <laughs> and almost like put me to sleep a couple of times, but towards yeah. the end, like the sound design in that movie is unbelievable. Like yeah. there's a, a phone, man. F that phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. really creepy movie yeah um like yeah a couple a uh, couple other movies got got me good um the boogeyman was one mm. that um i missed that the one. creature was uh like you can't hardly see the thing through the almost the entirety of the movie and then even like the end when there's like a big reveal where you can see the thing like even then you you don't get a good clear view of it really like through the entirety of the film yeah um but like for the most part the only thing that you see of the creature in the boogeyman are these like blue eyes like you see it over in like the shadows of like the corner of the room that you're in like the lights are all off that's freaking little girl well, yeah. so the, the little girl's in the living room and she just sees these like two like kind of lights twinkling like behind the couch. The room's all dark and it like it's moving around. And so, you know, <clears throat> it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. But I have an air filter um, that has two blue <laughs> lights on it. And, you haven't been able to sleep all year. Well, so so I like I don't usually have it in my room like every night, but I like keep kind of like I, I sometimes will turn it on, put it in my room to kind of clear the air out, and uh, 
and I happen to put it in my room, like not even really thinking about it. I wake up in the middle of the night after watching the boogeyman and I see <laughs> these two blue lights like in the corner of my room. And I like, it took me probably a good, like 30 seconds, like where I'm like, not sure if I'm still asleep or if I'm yeah, awake. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like <laughs> looking at those lights, like and my mind's going about like 800 miles an hour trying to figure out like what in the hell is going on here. <laughs> but then I finally realized I was like, Oh man, like <laughs> but that was, that was, that was more like my own, like uh, I did myself in on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. That's funny. That was, that was a pretty good movie too. The boogeyman. I haven't seen that one. I also, I meant to say, I did not see when evil lurks yet, but I've heard a lot of people, say really good things about that so that's one i need to make time for for me there really were two that stood out one is uh the movie talk to me which i did uh, a podcast about and i really really liked it was so impressed by it came out of nowhere like i never heard of these these australian brothers uh directed it i can't remember their names right now i should look it up but um the opening sequence is this one shot or one take thing that was so intense and really freaked me out and then i was just really i thought it was so creative in the way it does it so it's, it's a possession movie there's this creepy ceramic hand if you haven't seen it um that like they do this ritual with and it's it becomes this thing oh we're gonna put this on tiktok and like it's this experience these teenagers are having and it's i think it's really a clever script uh and really frightening like i i can't remember the last time i was in a theater just like out of breath because I was <laughs> really nervous what was going to like there's a scene in particular in which there's this younger brother character that really wants to do the ritual and uh when he does it's wild so that was a, a really good one um but my favorite the one that I thought about the most is the movie Infinity Pool did you see that movie oh I did not catch that one it's a wild one I, I think a lot of people really did not like it it's Brandon Cronenberg who's the son of David Cronenberg um and i actually still haven't seen his first feature possession but i know a lot of people really oh yeah i've got that i've been wanting to watch possessor it's possessor Possessor. i think yeah um but infinity pool is great briefly the premise uh alexander skarsgård is on vacation with his wife um he's a writer and struggling to find inspiration um they're in like a fictional country but it's like a it's like a third world country, but there's nice resorts there, you know, which is a real thing in real life. Uh, but they, they're not supposed to leave the compound, but he, um, he and his wife, he meets Mia, uh, Mia Goth as the, the, the wife of another couple. And she's sort of seducing him and whatnot. They're like, Oh, you should come with us. We'll, we'll we're going to leave the hotel and go to this place we know about. And anyway, uh, a crime ends up being committed and Alexander Skarsgård is implicated for it. And the punishment, uh, maybe I shouldn't spoil the premise. It's a great, it's a great premise. I just realized maybe I shouldn't spoil it, but um, it's a, it's a mind F as well. And uh, it's, it's like this very sci-fi horrific punishment that this country has for him. Um, And then you find out there's people, other people that have gone through this as well that uh, sort of maybe like it. And it's, it's really messed up. Uh, But Mia Goth is, totally unhinged i'm a little bit of a simp for her anyway i could i have a little bit of a crush on you guys and so i think that's probably why this movie works so well for me but alexander skarsgård also just is like completely humiliated in it and in a way that's kind of fun um so anyway big fan of infinity pool uh not for the faint of heart i would say but that's my favorite horror movie of the year interesting 
Next up, your favorite action movie of the year. Um, uh, action. Yeah, there's really two that I really liked. Um, and, and the one that I thought of first was Godzilla because I just watched Godzilla minus one like a couple of weeks ago, and that that's had... my runner-up as well. I just watched it and really liked it. But go ahead. Yeah, but the, the it's like to be an action quote unquote action movie. Mm-hmm. Like you, the first thing you think of is like John Wick four, but you know, yeah, like yeah. that's that's kind of the same. You know, like what was different about four than one through three? Yeah, not that much. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, but Godzilla doesn't have a ton of action in it, like mm-hmm. some of the other movies this year did. Um. Man, that one sequence is just unbelievable when when uh, you know Godzilla just like storms into the city like he doesn't mm-hmm. every one of his movies. Yeah. <laughs> but that sequence is just so incredible. Um yeah, that 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 was intense. Um but I also really liked uh, the other one that I was thinking of when you mentioned uh, a- action movies was Napoleon. Um mm. which I liked pretty well. Um, considering that Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix both make some really different and sometimes weird decisions in that movie. Um, I overall liked it pretty well, but I mean, there's a lot of action and like battles and some sequences that uh, were pretty, pretty well constructed. I mean, Ridley Scott is Ridley Scott. He's always going to deliver some, some cool action sequences, but, uh, but I, I liked that one pretty well. Nice. Um, at the end of our top 10, we're going to talk about the things that we regret that we haven't seen yet. And one of those is Napoleon. That's a, a big one that I really meant to watch before voting, but I just couldn't make the time. Anyway, we'll talk over that later. Yeah. Uh, and I, I knew that I would probably enjoy it, but I was like, I, the, the whole thing with a film critic with limited time is like, you have to <laughs> prioritize the movies that I know that might actually make my ballot. And I just didn't think Napoleon was going to, yeah. uh, maybe I'm wrong. I should be excited about everything, but I just don't have time for everything, unfortunately. That's right. Um, so I do want to see Napoleon, but I haven't yet. Well, for me, I realized this this year, I think a friend of mine, I talked about this on an, another podcast episode, Keith Garlington is a film critic here, and he talks about like, there's some genres he just kind of struggles with and he has trouble reviewing with. And I was like, I think for me, that's action movies. Like I, yeah. I'm a little bit picky. Um which didn't used to be the case. I'm yeah. getting old, I guess. I don't know. But for instance, John Wick that you mentioned, like I keep going to these and like trying to get excited. And I just, I know some people love them so much and I respect that, but like the John Wick movies just wear me down because it's just nonstop. And it's like, yeah. the choreography is cool, but it's, I can't continue being invested in it for that much time. I just yeah. can't. I'm physically incapable. Um, yeah. So I realized my favorite action movies are ones that, use the action kind of sparingly like Godzilla, yeah. um, which has that sequence you talked about. The end sequence is really exciting, but I think the character stuff in between that works really well. And that's part of why I think it's such a great Godzilla movie. Um, but my number one action movie of the year is the killer, oh, the yeah. David Fincher movie, which also doesn't have that much action, but um, it has one really brutal action scene. It that is, is not unlike a scene from John Wick, but because it's in the context of like all this buildup and it's like, you don't know if you're going to get this kind of action and then suddenly it happens. I think it, it yeah. lands more. So that seems great. I mean, obviously he's a killer. So he's like shooting people and like there is some action throughout, 
Uh, but for me, that was the one that I was just really impressed. A little more realistic as well. Like, yeah, he actually you know, like when when you fall down eight hundred stairs, you know, you break a bone <laughs> or you, you something ha- something bad happens to you. You don't just yeah. like, keep on rolling, then you stand up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. It's much more grounded than a lot of action movies like that would be. Um, it. I think it has a great performance from Michael Fassbender. Yeah. I just, when I watched that, I was like, man, I've missed Michael Fassbender. Like he hasn't yeah. been anything in a few years. I was like, he's such a good actor. And Tilda Swinton, I think is her scene is so fantastic. She's really only one or two scenes, but yeah. she's great. Um, yeah. I think the script is great. It's based on a graphic novel actually too, but just like the story and the setup and the way it ends. I, I just really like that movie top to bottom. So that is my favorite action movie of the year. So from there, we're going to get into some more sort of like technical, uh, not yeah, technical things. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. So first up is score. Um, this is on both of our ballots. I believe what is your favorite score of the year? Uh, so my favorite score and I knew it almost as soon as I heard it was killers of the flower moon mm, for nice. being a long movie of three, three and a half hours or something. Like I felt Every time that movie like kind of slowed down, even just a hint, that score with like kind of like the resounding heartbeat, like drumming, mm-hmm. or sometimes it uses like guitar work or piano work to like kind of hit the same beats, but it like just kept pushing that story forward. Even though I, I texted you, I didn't finish watching that movie until I think I walked out of the theater like one in the morning. But like I never got bored with it. I never felt yeah. like you know spacing out or tired. And I have to attribute. I haven't seen it a second time. I'd like to watch it again. Uh, but I got to attribute at least like a measure of that to that score because I really mm-hmm. loved it. And I, as soon as I got in the car and was like driving home, I, I turned it on and started listening to it again. Um, but I really thought that one was one of the great ones this year. Yeah. That one is really good. And just a little more context on that. It's from uh, Robbie Robertson is the the composer yeah. who he passed, passed away, away yeah. before the movie came out. So he actually never yeah. even saw it. Um, but he's also the guitarist from the band, the band, the band that Martin Scorsese made a documentary about the last waltz back in the day. Yeah. So like they have a relationship over the years. So it's a really a cool kind of fruition of that working relationship to have this fantastic score uh, be the last thing he worked on. So pretty cool yeah that's a great score um this one is one that i was really torn uh i wanted to uh, this my my number two was poor things uh, which has such weird music and i was just so like i love how weird that movie is and a lot of that is the music like just go on spotify and listen to the first couple tracks and you're like what is this if you haven't seen the movie especially like this makes no sense the composer is jerks and fendricks uh, and it's really strange and I loved it. Um, but my favorite one is for the boy and the heron, um, the Miyazaki film. Um, Joe Hisaishi is the composer and he has done most Miyazaki's, most of Miyazaki's films. And he just does these incredible piano scores, mostly piano. I think there are other instruments, but like his music is some of like the iconic stuff that I just listen to all the time. So like having new stuff for him in a Miyazaki movie was just so exciting for me that that became number one. And it's one that you can just put on while you're working or whatever. And it's fantastic. So that's my number one score. 
next up is cinematography. What is your favorite cinematography this year? I really, well, there's a few movies that were pretty damn gorgeous, uh, like Poor Things. And mm-hmm. I thought you might talk about that one. One of the ones that I wanted to give a shout out, though, because it was so beautiful. Like, after I watched about 15, 20 minutes, I'm like, man, this is freaking gorgeous. How, how have I not, like, heard more about it? But it was uh, the uh, the new Pablo Lorraine movie, El Conde, which was a really weird movie, like, just in and of itself about, um, like, a vampire set, like, uh, maybe... 50 years ago um, in Argentina. And, but man, some of the sequences of, of like when he's flying and, and just doing different things, it's all in black and white were just absolutely stunning shots over and over. And, uh, you know, that was the one thing that despite the kind of weirdness of the film, the mm-hmm. visuals of it were always engaging. I was, um, you know, kind of kept in it just because of how great the camera work was. Yeah, that is another one that I have not seen yet and uh, really need to catch up with. I'm a fan of him and and yeah. Well, it seems like I'm going to do this on all of my categories now, but I'm going to talk about two again. Um, but one, I'm going to mention all three. At number three, I had All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt, which... Yeah. Uh, a lot of gorgeous nature photography. Um, the cinematographer is Jomo Frey. For number two uh, is a movie called Scarlet, which is directed by Pietro Marcello. And he made a movie called Martin Eden a few years ago that I really liked as well. And uh, the cinematographer here, or the director of photography is Marco Granzaplena. Uh, and it's just like this very old world Europe, like natural light. It just looks incredible. Martin Eden was the same way. Um, his movies are ones I always want to see just for how they look. That was my number two. My number one was Poor Things. Mm-hmm. I thought that uh, it, so many things. If I, if, if I had those other categories for like hair and makeup, costume, production design, that would have been a really strong exactly. contender for all of those. That movie, just, uh, technical it level. all looked Gorgeous. so incredible. And like clearly artificial, most of it. Like what we're seeing is like these are sets or these are like some of it must have been virtual effects um, but like the way the ocean looked while they're on the boat um the way uh uh, lisbon looked like the streets look and everything like and and there's like the the little yeah what'd you say i was gonna say just like the sky in the background is like these wild shades of blue like really striking in contrast with the costume sometimes Mm -hmm. so many ruffles the costumes were <laughs> yeah, the costumes gorgeous. Were so good in that too yeah every technical aspect you can tell that lanthimos um man had had his finger on the dial of that that movie yeah. all the way um you just had so much fun with it and then there's also this is a weird little touch but there's these like these title cards between sections where like yeah. where she's going to lisbon or where she's going back to london and it has this like three second little video but it'll be very abstract of like emma stone riding on a giant fish or like like the the weirdest things but like those things and also the black and white and the color going back and forth colors really pop in a lot of the sequences yeah that was my favorite and just i actually watched it twice and uh just you just i just want to bask in how good it looked so (laughs) yes four things is my number one up next we're going to talk about screenplays first 
adapted screenplay. What was your favorite adapted screenplay this year? As soon as I saw American Fiction, it was probably only about 30 minutes in. I was like, man, I love this screenplay. Like it, it's, <laughs> I, I probably should have mentioned this in like the comedies because that's like, that's the part of the, yeah. um, the movie that it's really like the strongest is in its comedic aspects. Um, it is so sharp. Like that, that screenplay is sharp as attack. Um, and I really, really dug like the humor, um, and how witty the the movie was. Um, but I also wanted to give out a shout out to Are You There God? It's me, Margaret, as far as mm, yeah. um, like an adapted screenplay. Like I just loved Are You There God? And it, as far as um, that movie goes, after I watched it, I immediately bought the book and an audio book and listened to it. So I was able to like really kind of compare the tones. Yeah. And I thought that that um, she just nailed that. Uh, Kelly Fremont Craig, I believe, is the writer director. That's her that. And uh, yeah, she just nailed that book as far as like the uh, the screenplay adaptation of it. I thought that's really cool. And I, you know, I wish I could speak to like I have one that's my favorite, but I haven't read the source material, so I don't actually know what the adaptation was like. Yeah, but yeah, I also loved Are There Goes Me, Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a book that I never read as a kid. I mean, it, it's marketed towards girls, I guess, more than, yeah. than boys. But um, I went and picked up a copy of it as well, but I haven't read it yet. Um, but I also love the movie. And then I agree with American Fiction. I think I like that movie less than some critics, but the I think the the satire stuff and the, the comedic stuff of that is, is really sharp and really funny. Um, everything else I struggle with a little more in that movie, but uh, yeah. overall liked it and, and really liked that aspect of it. Um, my favorite adapted screenplay is All of Us Strangers, mm-hmm. um, which is the screenplays by Andrew Haig and the novel is Japanese uh, by Taichi Yamada. And I just, this movie was not at all what I expected it to be um, based on like the little bit of marketing I'd seen. And uh, I really, really loved it. And it, the writing I think is well, I want to say the writing is the strongest part of it, but I don't know if that's true because there's so many other really great things about it. Yeah. But um, the, the screenplay is fantastic and where it goes. I almost don't know if I want to spoil anything about the story of that movie. Um, it's kind of like the movie Petite Maman where like, yeah, I can there's like a central thing. Review. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's from that school of, of creativity, I think. Yeah. Um, where it's like, I can tell you the premise, but it like finding out the premise is kind of part of the fun of it. So yeah. I'm going to hold that, but like, I was really impressed by it and it just was not what I expected at all. Um, yeah. So that's my adapted screenplay. What about your original screenplay choices? Uh, so my two that I've got down, the one uh, is um, Anatomy of a Fall. That movie mm-hmm. is so, I mean, it's a long movie to begin with. I think it runs two and a half hours, but there, I, like, in my review, I, <laughs> I'm i like, this has got to be one of the longest scripts that was, like, presented <laughs> oh God, yeah. of the year. Because there is so Ridiculous. much dialogue when they get into the courtroom. But, of course, the, the movie is so kinetic in there, in the way it breaks up those courtroom scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they're just, like, going back and forth, especially um, 
you know, the prosecution, the, the guy that plays the the main prosecutor. Yeah, he's fantastic. Oh my gosh. He's unbelievable. But like they have like some monologues back and forth where they're just like bam, 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 like a like an Aaron Sorkin movie or something. And uh and that screenplay really uh like kind of blew me away as far as like, man, that that, that guy was working on that screenplay for a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I completely agree. And it's because it's got the layers of like just a great courtroom drama, but also like the emotional stuff with the family and yeah. you're questioning things and then we learn details at different points. Um that reminds me, I, I need to add one to my favorite moments of the year. I'm going to make a quick note. The other one that I was thinking of was, uh, was Fair Play. Um, mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I really liked, you know, that, uh, that whole, the dynamic of, of him versus her in the mm-hmm. workplace and, uh, you know, how they're both kind of gunning for the promotion and uh, a lot of like kind of back and forth dialogue between the two as they're as they're you know trying to get a leg up, not necessarily on each other because they're in love and they have a romantic relationship, but where it goes and how things kind of deteriorate as, as yeah. she starts to work herself up the ladder. If you haven't seen Fair Play, go watch it. Um, but yeah, it's it, I, I thought the screen screenwriting behind that film was pretty solid. I like that one a lot. I completely agree. That was actually my third one on my ballot, I think, uh, number three. Um, but yeah, I, I was really impressed by that as well. Just like the gender dynamics, but like it's not cliche or what you expect. And it just really feels sharp. So yes, big fan of Fair Play as well. Uh, mine at number one was May, December, which um, is a Todd Haynes film, but he did not write it actually. The screenplay is by Sammy Birch, which uh, if anyone doesn't know, it's about a relationship between a much older woman and a much younger man and it started out scandalous like tabloid scandal and then it's looking like years later what's going on with their family and and all this and um it's just so well written (laughs) i I found it so thrilling like every like there's so many things i like about this movie but i think it starts with a really good screenplay that uh i think i said this to you as we were texting about the movie like it just for me it was like oh my gosh that was a scene of the year and then the next scene would be even better and the next scene would be even better and i just like continued to be so enthralled by it um because it starts with this very transgressive premise right like this horrible thing has happened and all these people are kind of living their lives anyway and like what do you do in that situation and um and this outsider natalie portman is coming to study her to be to play her in a movie um and it's just like you meet another character who was affected by this and another character who was affected by this and you see how they feel about it after all these years um and it just came together i think really fantastically in the end too so may december is my choice for original screenplay and next up is acting ensemble what did you have on there um i wrote down a couple of them the first one i thought uh i thought poor things was great again going back to poor things because Uh, you know, Stone, Ruffalo, um, why can't I think of, uh, uh, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe, yeah, like, he, yeah. I was trying to come up with his last name. Um, you know, he's like, so good in that movie. Yeah, he's, uh, like, fantastic. Yeah, they're just, they're just all working at such a high level. Um, but I did want to give a shout out to Society of the Snow. 
um, mm. Spanish uh, Spanish film that uh, it should be coming on Netflix like in another week or t- couple weeks. Um, it's another one I haven't caught up with yet, but I've but heard it's so good. The, ense- the ensemble cast is just so great in that movie. Um, and, uh, you know, well, I guess without getting into like the full plot details, like it's based on a true story. And so these people are all playing like people that actually lived. Um, mm. But like the way they depict the things that they went through um, was all just completely riveting. I thought all the all the characters in that uh, in that movie were not only like you know kind of breaks your heart to see what what they went through if you kind of know the premise of the film. Um, but uh, but yeah, they're basically all stranded up in the middle of the Andes Mountains, which is why it's called the Society of the Snow um, after a plane crash. But uh, yeah, like it, it's it just breaks your heart the devastating things that these people have to go through um and i thought they did such a fantastic job like the entire cast um and that's another one that like if you had had a makeup i would have mentioned that movie for makeup because it it, like the way that they're after being out in the cold like their lips are all chapped and their faces get all sunken and oh god wow you feel so bad that uh you know some people actually had to go through that and uh, that ensemble cast just did a great job portraying uh, how rough those circumstances must have been. I got to catch up with that movie. Uh, I've, I've seen a couple of things online saying it's just really, really good. So good choice. Mine. This was one I struggled with because I had so many good ones. Um, yeah. So I'll just get my whole ballot here really quick. Number <laughs> three, I had uh, salt burn. I thought, yeah. Yeah. Everybody was so good and so funny in that. Like Jacob Lordy is fantastic. Obviously, uh, Barry Keoghan is Keoghan's just such great. an incredible actor. And then like Rosamund Pike, every second she's on screen, I was just like so delighted. <laughs> like yeah. she's so like it's the whole comedy of manners thing where she's like these people are technically like they're they're acting very polite, but they're being terrible to each other. Yeah, and that's just so much fun. Uh, number two, I had Killers of the Flower Moon just because like. Yeah, it's such a huge cast for one thing. Yeah. Like all these supporting actors are so great, um, and then obviously we have Lily Gladstone and, and Leo and De Niro in the middle of it, all giving incredible performances. So that was my number two. And number one though, I had May December. I just thought yeah. everyone on that movie was so great: uh, Julianne Moore and uh, Chris Melton, and then Natalie Portman are the kind of the three central i think they're all great but like the kids get a little bit to do as well and they're great um and like we meet a lot of different side characters but mostly it's just those three central i think are just like pretty towering performances all three of them so that was my choice and next up we have best director and you and i we talked about cutting this from the podcast just because you know, we're going to talk about our favorite movies and sometimes yeah. that correlates a whole lot, but uh, there's some, some difference in, in like, like there's some things that are high up on my top 10 that I, it, the direction is maybe not my favorite thing about them. So anyway, what is your favorite director of the year? Well, I figured I would at least um, like just kind of give some, some credit where credit's due because like I know um, like Chris Nolan is one of the guys that uh, a lot of people are just mm-hmm. going to be praising 
all award season this year. He'll probably yeah. win the Oscar for Best Direction. Uh, but there really can be no debate what he did with Oppenheimer. I mean, that movie is just, from a technical level, I mean, just kind of like poor things. It is outstanding in virtually every way that it can be. Um, but you can tell that, that uh, I mean, he's, he's done so many great movies before. Um, but this one, with its appeal to, you know, like history and the, the you know, based on actual people and the characters that he got to play, you know, the actual people from real life, you know, Oppenheimer and, you know, everybody, his wife, Emily Blunt, all of those decisions as a director, um, you know, I, I have a hard time believing the Academy doesn't give him an Oscar for that. And I uh, was like, as soon as I watched that movie, I was blown away by most of the aspects of it, but you know, I knew that he was, uh, he was going to be in the mix of, of, you know, top directors of the year. He just, uh, yeah. he just knocked it out of the park with that one. Uh, if I had to mention another one, I would, I would bring up uh, just as a uh, directorial debut because we, I think we, we're not covering that category. Uh, Celine right. song in past lives yeah. as a debut director, what she did in that movie. Um, outstanding. I mean, that is, it's really a shame that the director, you know, has got such heavy hitters this year with Nolan, yeah. Scorsese, um, you know, Lanthimos, like she probably won't make the final cut. Um, but man, like just as like a straight out of the gate, first directing of a movie. Yeah. Past Lives is brilliant, brilliant work. Completely agree. And yeah, for for that movie, so like, I mean, think about her and Christopher Nolan, like such different types yeah. of directors, right? Like with Chris Nolan, there's so much technical stuff that he's, the decisions he's making. I, I, I think about the job of directing as like yeah. making decisions like all, right. all the time. And like all the things Chris Nolan's made in the past and how you can feel like this story feels like a Nolan thing because it's like we're jumping back and forth in time. We've got yeah. some black and white scenes. We've got all these actors just giving great performances um but then with celine song and past lives it's like some of what's so impressive is like knowing when to like just let us sit and watch something or like let something unfold there's a very long shot near the end of the movie that's incredible and like so that's something i really appreciate about the director is like keying into those like small creative things and that's kind of on, on uh, reflected on my list here too uh, obviously my top two here but my second one i did have yorgos lanthimos for poor things yeah i'm gonna sound like a broken record at this point but like oh it's just all the work. how creative that film is and like yeah. um every, like not only is the story i think hilarious like an impactful like thematically really strong but then it's surrounded by just the most creative stuff you've ever seen um so that was one but then for number one i did have andrew haig for all of us strangers and that one is more where it's like knowing how to let the camera sit and take in these performances and like letting us uh i I think i'm impressed sometimes when it's like we're gonna take more time than you'd think and like let this moment land and that movie just is full of those kind of like 
really impactful, like potent emotional moments. So that was my, my number one. And next up we have foreign language film. Uh, what did you have for this one? I've got, I got a few of these. Um, cause I, I watch so many foreign language movies and it's hard to get to them all, but, uh, yeah, there was a lot of foreign language movies that just, I, I can only get so many on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one, some of the ones that didn't make my cut were fallen leaves. Um, a delightful little finish rom-com, a real tight, it's not even an hour and a half. Um, but yeah, like I think I talked about this on the uh, the podcast episode um, where we covered our our uh, festivals, film festival things. Um, yeah, if you want to hear, yeah, if you want to hear more about it, you can go back and listen to that episode. But yeah, just a, a nice little um, movie about uh, a couple of I don't want to call them lost souls, but uh, you know that they're good for each other, and once mm-hmm. they finally meet up, the movie kind of keeps them apart. You just want them to get back together, and uh, but it's just such a nice movie, and it's funny, um, and it's real stylish too. Aki Kurismaki um, films it like it's a, a, a Greece movie or something from like you know decades ago, and so it's got a real unique visual styling to it that I really appreciated. A um, couple more: The Eight Mountains, uh, set up in the Italian Alps. Uh, man, that movie just so solid. Basic, basically, the premise is um, these two friends, uh, as youths, uh, kind of grow apart. One of them takes off and and uh, uh, kind of s- separates with his dad. Like he has has a falling out with his dad, uh, who lives and kind of stays up in the mountains, and so his dad. And his friend um, become like real kind of tight. Well, his dad passes away right away in the film. And so he comes back and finds out that his friend made a promise to his father to build this house up in the mountains. He had purchased this like piece of land. There's this all like old rundown cabin, like way up. Can't even get materials up there. And so they agree to build this house together. Like, and uh, it's just such a nice platonic friendship that they have. Um, but then the, the movie just explores their relationship and, and them as individuals and gets into like a character study of them. Uh, just a delightful uh, little movie that uh, you can check it out on Criterion Channel. Um, but uh, The Eight Mountains was excellent. Um, a couple more about dried grasses. Real slow and deliberate uh, filmmaking about dry grasses. The screenplay has a couple of scenes that are like, again, pound for pound with the dialogue back and forth. Um, like the intensity of them is, is incredible. Um, that screenplay is really something else. Uh, but about dry grasses is the, I think it's the Turkish entry for the Oscars. That's a good that's a good one. Uh, and finally, I'll mention the Promised Land with Mads Mikkelsen uh, was an excellent movie um, where he's uh, setting up uh, like trying to get this farm started 
and there's a guy that's opposing him setting up this settlement, uh, and the guy I don't I don't know the actor's name, but the, the bad guy, the villain in the film is the like worst bad guy from any movie I've seen this year. This guy is just like the worst of the worst. You just by halfway through the movie, you hate this guy's gut so much. And you just want to see like Mads go off on him because, <laughs> you know, eventually he'll get what's coming to him. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was a really solid movie to the promised land. I think it's going to be available to watch pretty soon here. It should be going wide within the next few weeks. Uh, I think they just released the trailer not too long ago, but it is another foreign film that, you know, do well to seek out and check out. Yeah. The Man, all four of those are movies that were on, like, if I had another week to watch movies before voting, I probably would have watched them, all four of them, but I haven't seen any of them. Um, But, yeah, so I can't speak to any of them, but I, again, have heard great things, not just from you, for uh, for all of them. Um, But, yeah, hope to catch up with those soon. For my foreign language films, I really appreciate that you're, you know, bringing in a lot of things. I'm just sticking to my ballot. Um, (laughs) My... My number three is one that we haven't talked about yet, and that is Totem, which is, I think, oh, yeah. Mexico's uh, Oscar uh, not submission this year. Yep. And it is about um, a little girl who is, you don't quite understand exactly what's going on yet, but you realize pretty early that her father's very sick uh, and probably doesn't have very long to live. And then you also don't really know what's going on in this family, but it all takes place in one day, and it kind of builds towards a really fantastic ending that i found really emotional it's really like shaky cam like documentary style um and i just was really really moved by it um so that's totem and number two i had the boy and the heron which of course is a japanese film and then number one i had the zone of interest which we haven't mentioned yet um but it's jonathan glazer's film about the holocaust and i found it just incredibly moving and upsetting and uh yeah, really, really like the zone of interest, um, which I guess I can give the premise briefly for anyone who doesn't know, but it's about, uh, which one, another one that we talked about in the film festival episode uh, previously, but I hadn't seen it at that point, and now I have, but it's about a family uh, living in Germany, and their very nice house is, like, literally shares a wall with a concentration camp, Auschwitz, and the, the father of this house is, like, high up in the maybe he's the highest up at Auschwitz um like the Nazi commander so it's this like family of Nazis um but uh what everyone is noting about this film is not original to to say this but it's like we never see anything um inside the walls yeah. in, inside the walls or we never see any violence but it's all in the sound design we're hearing yeah horrific things the entire time as these people are just living their lives and we become somewhat invested in like the things they care about, but the whole time that's just right over the fence, you know, and it's, it, it's a really unusual setup for a movie. And I think I found it really uh, unsettling and, and effective. So that's yeah. my number one uh, foreign language film. And our next category is animated films. What do you have for animated? Um, yeah, there's a lot of great ones for animated. Uh, I agree. My, my kids will, uh, if they ever listen, grow up and listen to this podcast and I don't mention Super Mario Brothers, they will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's probably the one I've seen the most this year because it's been on. <laughs> and, and attack me yeah. in my sleep. So 
Yeah, Super Mario Bros. is great for kids. I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but it was fun just watching the characters do their thing. Yeah. Um, so I agree. I'll say really quickly about the Mario movie that, yeah, objectively not a great film, but <laughs> I like the Mario nostalgia runs so exactly. deep that I actually went and saw this before. I was like, I need to see this without my kids because they're yeah. so distracting at the movie theaters. Like, I really <laughs> want to just experience this by myself. And I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. Not a great film, but you know, it's a, it has a special place in my heart. Yeah. And then, yeah, now I've seen it a million times because my kids are like, <laughs> go on. Um, the ones I really liked, um, well, we went, we also went to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That one um, was objectively uh, a much better film. <laughs> Turtles, Mut- Mutant Mayhem um, was gorgeous i mean like the animation and the voice acting um i i nominated that was the only one of our uh, we have a voice um voiceover for animated movies uh nominations the only one that i nominated was oh, i can't remember his name off the top of my head but it's the kid that did donatello he brought so much life to that character um and gave him such a distinct personality um i loved that uh that vocal performance um but also a couple other ones. Uh, the Peasants was so good. I just finished that uh, this morning. I finished watching that earlier. Wow. So that I finished watching it yesterday. Um, but yeah, I started watching it last night and then I finished it today. And it is like a, a two-hour painting. Um, so it's mm. almost like um, photorealistic animation where they just like have a picture and then they have painted it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the story of this, this girl in this town um, that has the guy that she loves. And, uh, but, but she, she lives in a time like of, of peasants where you have basically no say in, in uh, who you marry and who you're betrothed to and all of that. And so she ends up being, wed to this guy's father and uh just some of the things that happen and uh it's it's such a beautiful movie um you know especially like just from an animation you know perspective uh really really an excellent film but my number one animated movie of the year was elemental um the mm-hmm. pixar movie i really liked that um uh, the uh you know the uh topics of race and equality and you know just uh, like i actually like got teary-eyed by the end of the film because it uh it really touched me and i was like man that's one of the better pixar movies that i've seen in quite some time um so i definitely wanted to at least mention that one when we got to the animated animated yeah i haven't seen uh ninja turtles yet i really want to i have heard the peasants is awesome but i haven't seen it either and I have no excuse for not having seen Elemental yet. I have not watched Elemental yet either. And I'm sorry about that. Um, I definitely need to see it. Because I love most Pixar things. So anyway, that's a, that's a big regret for me. Um, here's what I had on my ballot for animated at number three, Suzume, which yes. I've talked about before. Yeah. Uh, you probably knew I was going to say that. Uh, but it's anime film uh, from a director named Mikado Shinkai, who yeah. did... Um, your name and weathering with you and i just love that i think it's looks amazing i love the music in this film actually like more than the previous two of his films (sighs) 
like I don't know. So the, those three are kind of a trilogy: your name and weathering with you and, and Suzume, because they're sort of about natural disasters and um, I mean, like they're not in the same universe or whatever necessarily, yeah. or at least it's not clear. But um, this one I thought had the most impressive soundtrack and score, um, and I found the story really moving. And, it, and they go to all these abandoned places and. Um, these are actual abandoned places in Japan. Like they location scouted these things and really animated them. Uh, and it's just, I think a beautiful movie. And and the ending I thought was really effective as oh, well. Oh man, Shikai, he's like a wizard. When he like drops those endings on you, like he's just yeah. like king of like the knockout finale. Is it like, even yeah. though Suzume, I think I texted you that like, it didn't have me like fully invested. Like I wasn't mm. like, all in but within that last like 10 minutes like he just like waves his magic wand and like sucks you <laughs> in and all of a sudden i've got like a tear coming out of the corner of my eye I'm like man this, yeah. this guy can deliver those powerhouse endings like nobody's business <laughs> yeah oh my gosh i'm thinking about like of those three i do think that um your name is probably the strongest and just like the most impressive screenplay i still gotta watch weathering like that's on my list and and weathering with you is sort of more like offbeat and weird and and it's a little more cutesy sometimes but i I think it's still really good and it has a fantastic ending also and just visually incredible yeah and great music anyway but then suzume i i think maybe throughout i found it the most like emotional you know it's pretty weird too like there's a character who's a chair the entire time like it's transformed into a chair for the entire movie like it's it's strange but um i really liked it a lot and uh again yeah the ending i thought was fantastic uh so my number three was suzume and it interestingly the ending of that movie which i'm not going to spoil has a kind of a similarity to the ending of the boy and the heron which i'm also not going to spoil but so i can't really talk about what that connection is um but i found the ending of both of those films really moving and and the boy and the heron like most miyazaki films is very dense and i feel like and it's also very mysterious kind of by design so like i feel like i understand very little of the movie after watching yeah. it once and i definitely want to see it again but i love the experience of it and there's some moments in it that i just brought me so much joy some that were so moving um, so that was my number two. I mean, and any Miyazaki movie, of course, looks incredible, and this did as well. Um, and it just also not what I expected. Um, and I mean, it, I, I didn't know what I expected, but it was not what I expected. Uh, but I thought it was beautiful. So that was my number two, and my number one was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which um, just there's so many things I could say about it. But right now, I'll just talk about the animation. Uh, much like the first spider-verse movie it's it's doing some pretty like um technically innovative things where it's sort of a mixture of hand-drawn and computer animated and i don't really understand the process of it but it looks more like a comic book than a lot of comic book movies um but it also it's similar it's the same studio at sony pictures animation also did uh the Mitchells versus the machines, which has a similar look, but it, I mean, obviously very distinct from the Spider-Man movies, but uh, this movie, just a visual feast. And um, on top of that, I think an incredible screenplay and incredible voice acting. And um, yeah, so 
we may be talking about this movie more later so i'll just stop there but i uh loved well, it was it was your number two midway through the year so that's right yeah so at the beginning of our top 10 part two episode of this i'll we'll revisit our top five of halfway through the year and this was number two on my list at that time yeah. so we'll have to see if it's still on my end of the year list but Ooh. it was my number one animated film uh and in the next category is documentary what did you have on this one good documentaries um uh let's let's keep this tight uh four daughters i just watched four daughters the other day really interesting movie about a woman uh from tunisia she has four daughters uh, no, no big shocker two of them get um converted to like basically they get involved in isis and just really yeah like take off and so the, the film covers the mother and the two daughters that are left and then they have they have some actresses that that play the other two daughters and they reenact some different scenes and uh some different things from like you know talking about their childhood and growing up and you know obviously before they got you know conscripted into you know the isis movement but uh but it was really pretty fascinating uh but i gotta say my two favorite uh docs of the year the second favorite was beyond utopia um which was about uh people that are trying to leave north korea and how difficult that is um real real like unbelievable stuff it's almost completely of like there's so much footage that they've been able to capture of like the river uh where people leave north korea into china and of course china and like all these different governments that people like have to go through like they're these countries are all with north korea and that they find these people and they just ship them right back to, to North Korea. Um, so they're all kind of like on the North Korean government side. These people have to get out and other people have to like try and help them escape more or less and navigate through these different countries to get them into, uh, I think it's Thailand. And then once they hit the shores of Thailand, then they're free. They're good mm-hmm. to go. Uh, but anyway, like that movie was excellent. And if you're not kind of proficient in like, you know, what goes on in that part of the world, you will absolutely find that movie riveting. The movie didn't land quite as hard because I've kind of heard uh, one of the ladies that actually interviews in the movie um, Beyond Utopia uh, is a North Korean lady that has been on the Joe Rogan show. And uh, yeah, and so she's told her story of how insanely difficult that process is of getting out of North Korea and like Mm -hmm. what some of the conditions are like in North Korea that just blow your mind. Like people like are starved basically like Mm -hmm. for any kind of sustenance. People will eat like grasshoppers because they have their their protein and there's Mm -hmm. just like no food for people to eat. Um, some of the living conditions are just unthinkable, unimaginable for like us here in the United States. Like, um, so yeah, that, that movie was excellent though in and of itself. Uh, but the one that made the highest on my list was 20 days in Mariupol. Um, again, just the, uh, Ukraine war and seeing 
um, some of the footage that they uh, that they captured, like these these uh, journalists, just stayed in the city, or they actually went to Mariupol because they knew Russia was gunning for uh, that city once the invasion started, and they just were there. They're trying to like record all these things, and they're trying to send them out via like whatever service they they can get because once the the towers started going down and there's no mm-hmm. cell phone service they only get like sketchy service and like a few parts of town and it was really a, a fascinating and compelling documentary and oh god just some of the devastating things that you have to watch like it's not uh, it got picked up by PBS and i think it's been shown pretty much widely like you can go and watch it on PBS um but yeah, like you, you have to see, uh, you know, bodies like dead people. Like it, it's horrific, um, and even like kids. Like some of the things that you have to see in that in that documentary um, uh, are traumatizing, to say the least. Uh, rough stuff, but it is just one of those things that you know it's important to know about and. Yeah, you feel so awful that they have to go through those things. Oh, once again, three movies that I've wanted to watch and I haven't. Um, <laughs> so I, I appreciate you highlighting them and and recommending them because those are all they have all been on my list. Um, all right, for my documentaries, um, I'll mention all three of mine on the ballot as well. Number three, this one got a lot of buzz, and so I, I checked it out and I did did really appreciate it. It's called Kokomo City, and it is about. Um, it's about sex workers who are black women or women of color who are trans women. And it's, so it's about their experiences and it's about the way society sees them. And it's, so it's really interesting to hear directly from those people, but it's also the way it's directed is really like very full of energy. And like, obviously as you would imagine, a lot of their experiences are really hard, uh, but the film is still, finds joy and, and allows them to um, be full humans. And, and we get to kind of like get to know these characters and it's really, it's moving. Um, it's really energetic. Um, and it's not perfect. I didn't like it. That's why it's not number one on my ballot, but I did really like it a lot. And uh, uh, despite a few issues, thought it was definitely worth the recommending. That's Kokomo city. Number two, I had a movie called a still small voice which I had wanted to watch forever. And I finally did and really, really appreciated it. It's about hospital chaplains in New York city. One, one woman in particular is sort of the main character. And it's on one level, it's fascinating to see what the job of a hospital chaplain is like, um, because she's having like very real conversations with patients about their struggles in life, their medical conditions, all kinds of things. And like she's there to support them and encourage them. And it's fascinating because I'd heard about this being a thing that there are chaplains who are atheists and she doesn't, she doesn't like say I'm an atheist, but she, she does question the existence of God in some of their like inner circle um, conversations. Cause a lot of this we're seeing like the support group of a group of chaplains and they have like a mentor. And that, that dynamic actually ends up being a, a greater focus of the movie than I expected. And it was so frustrating, not, not in the filmmaking, but like seeing the, the choices that people are making. This is like during 2020 and 2021. So like they're under a lot of pressure with COVID happening, being in a hospital, mm-hmm. but it's still like 
there are a few decisions that I'm like, can't you guys just get along a little bit better? Anyway, yeah. but, uh, I don't want to like spoil anything, but um, really a strong movie. And, and I thought a fascinating look at uh, this very particular experience. And um, yeah, that was still small voice. Oh, and you know, I still small voice. Obviously that title is sort of referencing uh, like Christianity and like, and, and God and that phrase comes up. And so like, there is also the level of like religious exploration um, that I really appreciated about it as well. Uh, but at number one, another movie that deals with religion in some interesting ways is The Mission, which uh, is about a missionary who went to uh, be to, to reach the North Sudanese, which is an unreached people group, um, and was killed. And so like that's the true story that this is uh, based around, but it's looking at what led him to do this because he basically acted alone. He had some support and like he raised support as a missionary does. Um, and he had, there was an organization that did not send him, but he like sort of got them to support him in some ways. Um, so like he basically did it of his own accord. And we have, we hear from like his high school accountability partners about what his faith was like. We hear from, um, uh, people that he worked with when he he was like really outdoorsy and loved camping and stuff. He worked at a national park. Um, so we hear those kind of things. We also hear from his father who feels that he his son was radicalized by the evangelical church. And that's the word he uses. And his father has written a letter to the production team and they read portions of that throughout the film. Mm-hmm. We have his actual journals as well. The, the young man who done John Chow is his name. And we also hear from people who are missionaries, people who are ex-missionaries and like hearing all those different perspectives, I thought was really strong uh, and, and just incredibly interesting. Um, interesting to me as someone who used to be a missionary as well. Um, I want to mention the director's names really quickly. I'm pulling it up. It's the same direction team who did Boy State, the documentary a few years ago, which I also really loved. Yeah, um, Girl State. Coming yes, Girl State's year. coming out. It's yeah. it's interesting because I I went to Boy State, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and so like I loved that movie, and like that movie was like such a whoa, too close to home. And now a movie about a missionary. It's like these people are following me around, and it's also it's so interesting because like I was a very different person when I went to Boy State. I was a very different person when I was a missionary. It's like yeah. how I've changed, and I think the directors are very aware of you know people coming in and out of different you know mindsets and things uh the directors are amanda mcbain and jesse moss who yeah i'm i I don't know what sundance is going to be like you and i are going i can say i'm really excited about that um but i hope i get to interview them that would be incredible i would love to do movie. so that's my like my bucket list thing is i hope i can get them on the podcast or something Uh, but yeah that was my number one documentary this year um and that's our final technical category besides looking at the actors. So now we're going to get into, uh, you know, some award shows, you know, do away with gender and I support that, but my ballot does not do that. So I think it's easy <laughs> to stick with. We're going to do supporting actress, then supporting actor, and then best actress, uh, lead actress and lead actor. So starting with supporting actress, I'm going to talk about all three of mine for these. You can do whatever you want because you have five on your ballot. So take it away let's talk as supporting actresses um yeah so we're uh i don't want to like kill a ton of time here i really liked emily blunt i thought she did some great work on Oppenheimer. um but 
one of my favorites this year was uh, one of my number one movie from the midway point, which was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, both Rachel McAdams, uh, whether she would go supporting or lead, uh, because she is in a good amount of the movie, uh, but she was just fantastic. Uh, Rachel McAdams, yeah. I thought, did some uh, some fantastic work as the mom of that movie. And, uh, again, going back to the book, the tone of that film, I mean, she just nailed that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even even Abby Ryder Forson that plays Margaret, um, I thought she did so so good, uh, and so yeah, like uh, those are a couple of the supporting actresses that I nominated for our ballot. Nice. Um, I'll just do my three really quickly. At number three, I had Divine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers, who I think is the best part of that movie. <laughs> like, yeah, and you know, everyone. Like I, that movie's getting a lot of praise. I struggle with it a little bit more. I don't know if I'm just struggle with Alexander Payne. I don't know. I didn't yeah, like well, fall head over heels for that movie, but I did love Divine Joy Randolph in it, and I thought she was yeah. fantastic. So she was my number three, and number two, Rachel McAdams for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. And that's one I loved when I saw it, um, and I've continued to think about it. And as the actor conversations are happening, I keep seeing on social media there's a, a clip of her. Like is going around, and it's the scene where she's talking to Margaret about her parents, her relationship with her, with like their grandparents, oh. Margaret's grandparents. And I watch the whole scene every time it comes up in my feed, and I <laughs> cry every time. I was like, God, this is a good performance, and it's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that was my number two. Love Rachel McAdams in that. And number one, I had Julianne Moore for May December. I just think she's so good, and I mean, in everything, and she's fantastic in this. Um, she is, you know, it's, it's a whole thing about as an actor, you can't judge the character, right? Which seems like it'd be really hard in this case, because this character has done something objectively terrible. Um, and, and, you know, we as a society now have more of an understanding of grooming and like age differences and all of that. Um, and yet she gives this character like real humanity and I, I i've seen some some like think pieces about this the, about like saying the movie's uh not addressing how problematic it is enough or whatever and i disagree with that and i don't want to say that julianne moore's character is like virtuous in any way um but i think playing that character for julianne moore must have been such a challenge and she is i mean she's even like the vocal thing she's doing which could be a caricature feeling almost, but they're not. Um, I just think she's fantastic in this. So Julianne Moore was my number one supporting actress. And that will bring us to supporting actor. Who did you have for your supporting actor? Uh, so a couple of mine were uh, Jacob Elordi in Priscilla. Yeah. I nice. loved him as Elvis. Like the, uh, the Elvis movie that we got last year, which uh, I didn't even see until this year, I don't think. But uh, I really was just kind of like, I mean, Austin Butler, he's a good looking guy. You know, he did an (laughs) adequate job in a, in a okay movie. Uh, But I really loved Elordi as Elvis and in the way that it depicted depicted him in Priscilla and and Mm -hmm. all of his, uh, you know, what a, although it's he's like so aspired to and revered by millions of people like ultimately 
you know, he's still a human being. He's still imperfect and he still has flaws. And this movie, the way he portrays that, I found so effective, um, especially in the context of the film. And I thought he did some really impressive work uh, in Priscilla. Um, the second one that I had written down was Milo Machado Grainer, uh, the little kid from Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, yeah. He was fantastic in that movie, yeah. uh, playing, um, you know, a, a probably 11 or 12-year-old blind boy that uh, is dealing with the fallout around the, the death slash murder, we don't know what it is, of his father mm-hmm. um, in the film. But, uh, but I thought he was just so convincing as, like, you know, uh, as he's, you know, with his dog in a bunch of sequences. And uh, I thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, but then the supporting actor, I mean, he's getting all the love right now from the critics groups. And I got to agree that uh, Charles Melton in, uh, yeah. in May, December was unbelievable. Like you can, you can see like the child within him, mm. like as he's still like on the fence of like, what is right? What is wrong? Like, you know, he's still kind of underneath processing those things and trying to figure out like, you know, what, what, uh, uh you know what he what he should do what what's right and what's wrong and uh although you know some of the scenes there is some like conviction in him you can mm-hmm. still see that struggle like through most of the movie uh i thought he did a, a fantastic job that was one of the parts of that movie i had no qualms about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> completely agree on that one uh just to comment on your other two briefly if we had breakthrough actor on a mind, like for child actors, then that the kid from Natalie Fall would have been my choice for that. He's so good. Right. But then Jacob Elordi too. I thought strongly about that performance for mine. Also him in Saltburn, like so good. It's such yeah. different performances, but like, he's just so effortless. I know he's been in Euphoria and stuff, but I've never seen him before until this year. Yeah. And actually I watched those movies the same day. <laughs> I watched right, Saltburn yeah. and then went straight to Priscilla. I was like, this is Jacob Elordi night. Okay. Um, but yeah, him as Elvis, he's so just effortless and like, yeah, it's so interesting to have a movie about Elvis, but Elvis isn't the main character too. Like it's, yeah, uh, yeah he's he's so good. He like does the voice well, but he's like mostly really like soft spoken and like gentle with Priscilla, but then sometimes not right. And um, yeah, fantastic. Not on my ballot, but I really thought about it. Uh, my supporting actor. Um, I have three, and I'm going to talk about a fourth one that I almost put on for my number three slot. I really struggled between. Um, uh john what's his last name i can't remember from from past lives let me look it up really quickly Um, that one off the top of my head the white guy from past lives who uh um is uh let me see his name really quickly i saw him first in orange is the new black uh john magaro and then he was in um first cow so good in that too and i really almost put him at number three in my ballot uh because i think he's so fantastic in that movie and uh like the conversations that he's having with his wife, like while they're just laying in bed and he's so emotional and like all of those things I think are so good. Yeah. But the reason I edged it out is because I think for that movie, like 
he's fantastic and the script is fantastic so like you know it's it's the whole thing of like an actor's job is easier when the script is good um so that's not to say that what i chose is not a good script but it's one that gives the actors more agency i think and that is the movie passages i chose ben wishaw who plays so the movie is about tomas who is married or in a long-term relationship with ben wishaw's character and then tomas has an affair at the beginning of the film with a woman and that throws everything into craziness it's like that's what the movie's about but ben wishaw he's so incredible in everything i've seen him in and so like gentle and soft-spoken and i think that's a a movie where like the script is really good but he brought so much to it that um uh, actually got to do a little virtual uh, press conference for that movie he was not there but the, the director um ira Sachs talked about wanting his actors to choosing actors that would be really thoughtful with the things in between the lines and i like the silence moments and stuff and i think that totally comes through in the movie and he's uh my number three choice for that reason he's fantastic and number two i have paul mescal for all of us strangers because he's incredible in that movie he is unlike any other performance i've seen of him like he obviously looks like paul mescal but he is uh just doing something very different um and as this kind of like probably depressed um gay man who uh is more forward in some ways than yeah yeah yeah. he's he's just like he's very forward with andrew scott's character and he uh like the way he looks and just his mannerisms and his body language i think is all really fantastic and I, i was just glued to him on the screen um so that was my number two. And my number one was Charles Melton from May, December, who, yeah, you're right. It's like, I think in that movie, I, w- I was struck by like, okay, Natalie Portman, we know she's great. Julianne Moore, we know she's great. Who is yeah. this kid who's from Riverdale, who is acting, not acting circles around them, but like acting, like completely holding his own and just being exactly. so incredible in this movie. He is uh, fantastic. And so much of this movie is like him clearly for years he has not grappled with the reality of the situation and he's yeah. just starting to pull the threads and like it's so devastating yeah. yeah it's all underneath the surface and uh like there's a scene near the end where he's it's just him standing there crying <laughs> it's so moving uh and yeah so i i absolutely love him in that film and that brings us to the actress best actress category for lead actress in a lead performance you might say we don't have official names here but yeah uh what act- actresses were on your ballot this year um so i got uh well i wrote down lily gladstone there was some debate whether she would go lead or supporting mm-hmm. i thought she, whatever you whatever way you want to spin it she was fantastic in killers of the flower moon mm-hmm. uh, i mentioned her in our mid mid uh Midway show through the year, Tayana Taylor in a thousand and one or one thousand and one. She was just brilliant in that movie uh, as like a mother that's struggling to like kind of keep the family together, uh, you know, in like nineteen nineties Harlem. And also wanted to show out, uh, uh, shout out a uh, a real smaller movie that uh, not a lot of people have seen uh, was Monica. Um, mm, I, lead, I wanted to watch this so bad, but I didn't get lead, it. Yeah, the lead actress uh, is a trans woman, Trace Lizette. 
And man, she did a fantastic job in that movie. The movie itself uh, was solid, uh, but what she was doing in it was really some impressive stuff that more people should make it a point to try and, and uh, seek out that movie because she's incredible. Uh, but my number one of the year was uh, Juliette Binoche in uh, The Taste of Things. Um, that movie, besides from being like, I mean, just a, a showcase of like incredible, like 1900s master chef level cooking, um, <laughs> with, you know, it's like what some people refer to as what, like food porn. Like you just like mm. watch all these incredible things being cooked. Um, I'm into that. <laughs> My, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh God. Yeah. Like if, if that's your thing, this movie will be up your alley. Um, and, and Binoche is so fantastic in it. Like if, if you had just like sat me down and I had no idea that Juliette Binoche was like an actress, you know, just be like, Hey, watch this video of this, like, you know, this lady from, you know, a hundred years ago cooking, I would have been like, yeah, of course this is just like some, you know, expert chef that's just like doing her thing. She's incredible in the movie. And how did you get this incredible footage? <laughs> like, how is this so yeah, quality? hundred years old. ago. <laughs> um, but no, she's so good in that movie. Uh, I was really blown away, and I hope she gets more um, traction for her work in that because, uh, yeah, I, I think she's right up there with the, with some of the best uh, performances of of, uh, of the year and uh, Taste of Things, which is. Uh, France's submission to the Oscars. It's one that I still need to catch up with. I think I would love it because I do love the, the whole food porn thing. <laughs> I was, I was going to say like um, when I first got on TikTok, <laughs> I was like, you know, your algorithm starts showing you just the things you want to see. Yeah. It was just all food for the longest <laughs> time. My wife would get my phone like, all of your TikTok is food. <laughs> so yes, I need to watch that. And I love Julia Binoche, but I, I just haven't seen that yet. Um, my actress ballot at number three, I did have Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel like, you know, the whole issue lead or, or supporting, I feel like she's really a co-lead with Leo in that yeah. she gets so much to do. I think, she, I mean, I think she's better than Leo in it. Sorry, Leo. Yeah, um, she's so good. And, uh, you know, she like, she has talked about how she felt, you know, of responsibility to like represent the Osage well. Yeah. And you guess you have to fall in love with her as a viewer the same way Leo does. And um, yeah, I think she's doing incredible work in that movie and, and the movie works because of her. Uh, at number two, I had Natalie Portman in May, December, who I have loved in a lot of things. I think this is the best thing she's ever done. I think she's yeah. so good in this movie. I haven't seen all of her movies, so I can't really say that. Um, but like, there's some major ones that I haven't seen that I need to catch up with. But I, this is my favorite performance I've seen of her. Um, we're going to talk about favorite moments in a minute, but she's going to come up because uh, I think she's just great in this. Uh, my number one is Emma Stone uh, in Poor Things, no, no. who I think in any other year, Natalie Portman would have won it, but like, man, Emma Stone is great in Poor Things. <laughs> she is, I mean, obviously it's, it's very heightened and like absurd. Uh, yeah. That, you know, she, weird. <laughs> should I tell the premise of how, like what her deal is? I don't know if I should. I, I, it's not Poor really a spoiler because it happens at the beginning yeah. of the movie. In, in any case, she, uh, what Willem Dafoe initially says is that she has a, a brain injury uh, and yeah. that she's like learning 
to be alive very quickly. And so what we get is like, it's, you know, there's lots of versions of this kind of thing where it's, you know, some outside force, whether it's like an alien or a Frankenstein monster, which this seems to be drawing inspiration from, but like they're commenting on our society as an outsider and like experiencing the world with fresh eyes. And like, that's such a powerful thing. And we get this very like feminist version of that, that Emma Stone is just like pitch perfect. Uh, she's, I want to, in favorite moments, that's going to come up again as well. But I think um, it's a very funny performance. It's a very moving performance. And she's like towing the line between comedy and like bearing the weight of the thematic stuff that's going on in the script. And I just think she nails it. It's so, so good. So that is my best actress of the year. And finally, let's talk about actors, actors in leading roles. Who do you have on yours? Uh, I will quickly shout out uh, Killian Murphy and Bradley Cooper in their respective movies. They'll get a ton mm-hmm. of awards love. It'll probably come down to, um, you know, Cooper and Murphy getting on the stage at Oscar night, probably get, get given to Cooper just because he's been gunning for it for so long. But yeah, uh, the Oscar darling from yeah. a few years back and everything. Yeah. But, but my two, my, my top two were, uh, were Andrew Scott from All of Us Strangers. Nice. Uh, that guy is just unbelievable in that movie. <laughs> uh, so many of his sequences uh, where, uh, like, yeah, without getting into the premise of the film, he's basically exploring uh, his his relationship with his parents and just the expressions on his face as he's having some of these interactions, uh, you know, really just, like, rip your soul to shreds. <laughs> um, I completely agree. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's so good in that movie. Um, but my favorite one of the year was uh, Koji Akusho. Uh, if I'm saying that correctly, the lead actor from perfect days. Nice. I thought he did so good um, in that role of, I mean, even though it's a real kind of subdued performance through, 99% of that film. Mm-hmm. And he really only has like that one really kind of like deeply Oscar y, you know, <laughs> yeah. the sequence right at the very mm-hmm. end. Uh, you know, I just thought he did such a good work at portraying that individual and how, um, you know, just, just perfectly content and happy he was. Uh, and, uh, you know, without getting into like the melodrama of it, just a quiet, subtle performance that he just absolutely knocked out of the park. I loved, I loved him in that movie so much. That's a great pick and almost on my ballot. Like I, I loved that movie and that performance so much. Um, yeah, very good choice. I'll, my number three, I had Franz Rogowski from Passages. He's the lead Tomas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, that's another one where like for an actor to portray this character without judgment and really yeah. the direction, the direction doesn't really judge him either, which is, it's fascinating because he's, you know, there is something uh, virtuous about being honest about how you feel and what your desires are, but the, he's also incredibly short-sighted and is blind to the ways that he's affecting other people. <laughs> and so it's this character study of that, that kind of uh, harmful dynamic. He has um, learned nothing. 
and it's it's fascinating because it, he feels like a real person even though yeah. like, i could see how you'd read the script and be like how can this person feel like a real person yeah. but he really does it and i think his acting is so strong in it um so that was my number three uh number two i had coleman domingo for rustin who oh, i have loved him for so many years and i i think that he finally got a, a really strong dramatic role in this film rustin which yeah. i was kind of mixed on the film overall um mostly positive on it but i think he's so good and like he he gives it his all and is is like it's just like a really perfect match of of character and and performer and obviously he's a real person um but yeah i just think he's really dynamic and and brings his magnetism that we've seen in other things to this really important role that i thought was really moving so that was my number two and my number one is Andrew Scott and all of us strangers. So great choice on your part. He, you know, I first saw him in the Sherlock show. He plays Moriarty and he's just so mysterious and like, just want to know more about him in that show. And then he's in Fleabag as I don't, have you seen Fleabag? I haven't seen that show. I've seen some Sherlock. You gotta watch Fleabag. It's so good. He's so he's in season two. He's a major character. I don't know that he has a name outside of the hot priest. He's the hot priest. (laughs) He's so good in that show too and so then when i saw who was in this movie when i just all i really knew about all of the strangers was like oh it's these two actors and that's really all i knew exactly um and i'm glad of that because like it was not what i expected as i mentioned before but he's so dynamic and so uh so insanely watchable and uh yeah brings the emotion to the scenes that needs like like the most emotional scenes <laughs> some of the most emotional scenes of the year yeah like, works because of the performances and, and that's mostly him so uh, i mean every performer in that movie is really good but yeah andrew scott gotta love him so great and that brings us to the <laughs> end of our one great first name <laughs> yeah that's true that's true uh that brings us to the end of our actor categories and so our plan now is to talk about our favorite movie moments. Obviously, we've been going a while, so I mean, let's try to keep it brief. But yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so we're gonna go back and forth. So I think what we're gonna do is just you know say here's a movie, here's a scene I really love from it, one of my favorite of the year, and you know set it up and why did you like it, and we'll try to go fast. But uh, you know, yeah, take your time, uh, whatever. Uh, some of these will go. Some of these will go pretty quick. Uh, yeah. Ryan Gosling in Barbie. Playing, yeah. playing on the beach, strumming, strumming, uh, push out. <laughs> Said I don't know if I've ever been good enough. I'm a little bit rusty, and I think my head is caving in. And I don't know if I've ever been real in love. Let's touch me and I feel like something's got to give And I'm a little bit angry Well, this ain't over No, not here, no Not well, I still need you around You don't owe me We might change, yeah Yeah, we just might feel good Oh man, I was that was one of the first scenes of the movie, 
like from the year that I, I immediately like got on my phone and made a note of it. I was like, <laughs> I like that. That got such a good laugh out of me that, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the movie, I, you know, all I really enjoyed Barbie, but that was one of the highlights from that film that uh, just worked so well in the context of, you know, the toxic masculinity, the song lyrics, like it all came together in that one scene. And, uh, and I was like, nailed it, growing. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect. And that song choice is so great. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause I don't have anything from Barbie on my, my list here, but that would be the one Like, yeah. it's so good. I laughed so hard in the theater when that came up. Um, great choice. Very different scene. Actually, maybe I'll skip down to do a funny one. Do I have any funny ones? Oh my gosh. I was trying to pick something from, from bottoms, but I couldn't choose i guess i would just say that final sequence um on the football field just so unhinged (laughs) and it's like the the movie uses violence for comedic effect throughout really but like that's the peak of it and uh that scene and like i don't want to spoil any of the jokes in it but like that that whole scene (laughs) and like at the end when they kind of look at the crowd and like that whole sequence so good so good uh so there's my funny one for the list yeah What's next on yours? Um, I have got the, the finale for Saltburn. Uh, out of all mm, the scenes nice. you're going to remember of the year, if you've watched a billion movies from from you know the 2023 year, that final scene, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen the movie yet, uh, but basically Barry Keoghan does a dance, and you will, <laughs> that will you be will forever etched in your mind, and it will uh, haunt you day and night. <laughs> Until you leave this plane. It's fantastic. And, and again, we mentioned Barry Keoghan earlier. He's so good in that movie. Uh, and yeah, that, that uh, I mean, basically like, you know, if you, if you were ever in his shoes in exactly the position that he was in, you would do exactly the same thing that he did. <laughs> uh, it's a perfect ending to them. You, have to admit, you know, when you first mentioned Saltburn, I thought you were going to say the scene right before that, where we kind of like, figure everything out oh yeah and i'm not gonna spoil which is a great scene too and like so shocking but yeah, yeah. you're right that final one is <laughs> just so good dynamite <laughs> okay well changing the the mood a little bit um i really love in killers of the flower moon the scene i call it the confession scene towards the end which oh. i guess i can be vague to not spoil things but like it's it's lily gladstone and leo in a room and uh basically a confrontation of sorts Uh, i'll just leave it at that but that scene it's a really key scene and i found it so uh kind of gut-wrenching that that for me was the best scene but i also want to say like the final ending of that movie incredibly uh, creative like just genius genius way to end the movie as well so gotta give it to him 
What's up uh, next on your list? Um, so I, I was tempted to like try and play this song to see if you could guess what it was, <laughs> but uh, it might not come through in the audio. So I, but it's called Le Monde. It's uh, it's like become a real popular like TikTok real song. Um, I thought you were going to play a song from Dick's the Musical. Okay, go ahead. No, <laughs> no, uh, it's it's, uh, but it's the sequence. Uh, it's got that really catchy song, and they start like going through like the possessions when they're like really. That's when the movie kind of hit it. Wait, what spot. movie is it? Uh, oh, talk to me. When when oh, okay, 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 all okay. getting like possessed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just get your thought dog out, and no cameras. camera is like spinning around like their heads like as they like roll back and their eyes go black and uh like it's creepy but like that's the point where i'm like man this is just now we're having fun here now we're having a, it's like a party scene yeah exactly thing. like yeah. they're all getting possessed but it's a party time and they're like <laughs> it's wild yeah. but uh that was that was a really cool sequence that i thought was uh uh really well done and, and uh, effective in that movie good call that's a great one uh my next one is for all of us strangers uh which call it the hug scene uh there's so many that one on my incredible scenes but his father yeah it's where he's having a conversation with his father and yeah maybe we shouldn't talk about the details of the conversation just just not spoil it i guess but like it's yeah. uh just one of the most emotional things i saw all year and it's uh jamie bell plays the father character and um gosh it's it's so well written but then it's just so well acted and like it, it's perfect it's a perfect scene i think so yeah. i had to mention that one great one what do you um, have next i've got uh the trinity test in oppenheimer Ooh, yeah. um and the, like well of course the movie itself is long but it just builds up and it builds up and it builds up and that's like kind of one of the first moments of impact where mm-hmm. You know, it's all leading to those few moments when they they trigger the bomb, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, Killian Murphy is there with his goggles on. It's the it's the one that's in like a lot of the posters or the imagery from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know the, the the still where they trigger the you know the explosion, and uh, and I just found that moment to be like so powerful and so you know, kind of impactful as far as world events. Like that was a turning mm. point in history of when we yeah. were able to accomplish such a, a crazy, insane thing. And I thought that movie delivered that, that, uh, that, that move, that moment kind of like, it just, uh, you know, brought that effect and just, yeah, like delivered it in spades, just, so powerful and moving. I uh, I like that uh, that sequence a lot. 
That's really a great one. And uh, I have an Oppenheimer one as well. Oh, yeah. And it's just a few scenes later, it's when he's given a speech yeah. to everyone in there. The gymnasium or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. It's like yeah. there on the gym. And, Those are and the two that. Oof. The editing of that scene is so wild where it's like the, the background is kind of moving behind him. It's like he's yeah. very unwell. And then what he ends up seeing, uh, sort of picturing the effects of the bomb. Yeah. Uh, really powerful way to bring that together so yeah that was my oppenheimer pick although i mean i also love the scene i'll just reference it briefly when florence Pugh shows up in the the sort of interrogation room you know which is like it's in his head right but that is a wild moment that i thought was really well done as well um anyway that could be my oppenheimer pick what do you have uh next on your list um, I've only got a couple more here. Let's see, we got one, two, three, four. Oh, the kid uh, in uh, in Anatomy of the Fall, when you, like there's a build up to a point where you know something's about to break, and the kid starts feeding his dog aspirin, and I won't like when you get to that point in the movie, you don't know what's going on, you don't know what the point yeah. of everything is, you don't know like what the motivations or the the end result like what what's he trying to accomplish but i was Mm -hmm. so captivated i was sitting so far forward in my chair at the movie theater (laughs) that i was like almost about to slide out of it because i was just so invested in like what in the world is happening right now and your mind's going like a million miles an hour trying to like process what this kid is doing and why he's doing it and you're trying to put the pieces together, uh, you know, as that's kind of like, again, the tipping point of where you start to really figure out what's happening with the whole movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, fantastic sweet sequence that like is, is, you know, engaging a piece of cinema as, as I've seen all year in Anatomy of the Fall. That's a great pick too. I have one from that movie also, and it is oh, yeah. the fight scene. It's where oh, yeah. it's part of the court case. It is near the end, um, but there's like an audio recording and it, it puts together in a way it seems like it's pulling together so many things and like you yeah, understand what's going on better. Yeah. But at the same time, you have so many more questions still too um, yeah. from that scene, but it's a really powerful scene and it's, um, it's kind of like, oh, it's a really like big aha moment in a way that yeah. really adds, yeah, recontextualization. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I have, I have a bunch more. I got to okay. What else do you have? I got three, I think. Okay, so so one more. Okay, so this. Okay, all right. Confession time, Sweatman. Let's do this. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to tell, <clears throat> and so you're gonna have to tell yours. Um, when you're growing up. Every teenager goes through the, through this, but uh, you have like oh a God. celebrity crush. Like mm, okay. when you're a teenager, there's somebody that you kind of like. And maybe there's more than one, but like for me, it was Britney Spears. Like she <laughs> was the thing when I, I must have been like 17 or 18 when she when her first album dropped, "Baby One More Time," and I was like fixated with Britney Spears, and so that's my <laughs> that's my teen. Uh, teenage crush confession um but like who who yours have been when you were that age when you said it britney spears the first thing that popped in my head too like i remember the the music video for um way older than you you were you were like (laughs) yeah i mean i was young (laughs) (laughs) that was like uh oops i did it again i must have been 
I can't remember what year that was. I mean, yeah, I was that in junior high, like I think. 2000, yeah. 2000. I was in like eighty nine or something. 2000, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but so, yeah. so like the reason I bring that up is because uh, <laughs> in, uh, in, in the movie Priscilla, it ah. captures that mm-hmm. idea of like something every teenage person has ever experienced of having something like that actually play out where Priscilla is in Germany where where Elvis is stationed and she just happens to bump into somebody that's like, Hey, do you like Elvis Presley? She's like, who doesn't like he's here in country and like, he's a friend of mine, like doing some music promotion or something. Like, why don't you come over and you can meet Elvis and then to like go to his house and it's wild. Like, Yeah, like you're you're playing through in your mind. You're like, okay, so she's there. He singles her out and invites her back. And then finally, the sequence that I love so much is uh, is so they they finally like share a kiss. Like after he invites her over, he, he's uh, he says that she, like having her around him reminds him of home and so he enjoys spending time with her and how surreal that must be and then yeah. they like kiss and crimson and Clo- clover starts playing oh, yeah. in the background mm-hmm. and the next day she's walking down the middle of like the the you know the high school like the lockers on each side of her and people are passing by her and she's got this like real like kind of subtle smile on her face of like just thinking to herself that she kissed Elvis <laughs> Presley and how like wild and like you, you never think something yeah. like that would happen to you but yeah. like to put yourself in your own teenage position of like what a cool sequence I thought that uh, Sophia Coppola yeah. like knocked that one out of the park she was like uh, you know so relatable and so, uh, so awesome of a sequence. I love that one so much. That's a great choice. Yeah, because I agree. It's it's like, imagine what an out of body, like otherworldly. Yeah. Did that really happen? You know, kind of yeah. thing. She must be feeling. But then there's also the layer of Cloud like watching nine. as a viewer, like. Cloud nine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I love that there's also the layer of like, he's too old. Like he, this is like, there's the yeah. uncomfortable thing as a viewer that you're experiencing, even as you're understanding what she's feeling. Yeah, I, I think that's a really strong sequence as well. Good choice. Um, let me do a couple really quick that I'll be really fast about. One, All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt. I'll mention the hug scene. There's a scene early on where they're just two characters are embracing in a parking lot and it just oh, yeah. goes on longer, longer, longer than you think it's going to. Yeah. And it, doing that really like forces you to sit and like, what are they feeling? And you know, like the context is very... Um, emotionally fraught thought that was a really good choice uh by the director there um and then i'll just say at the end of totem there's like a musical performance that i thought was really moving as well uh, which is again the mexican uh film that's up for the it's a submission for the oscars that i thought was really really good like really the whole ending of that movie is really moving and that, that musical part was great what's up next for you 
Um, well, I think we've both got a couple of scenes from uh, Dixon musical. One last one I'll mention real quick is uh, there's a scene from Napoleon, a battle sequence um, that's really wild when they're having this battle on this lake. And it's a theoretical battle. It never actually happened in real life. Um, but there was rumors that it actually took place this way and that like Napoleon had like uh, set up this army to like come out onto a lake and then he just like after they basically have them kind of surrounded and have them like running for it, like retreating, mm-hmm. they just start firing these cannonballs into the lake as all this army is trying to escape. And so we get like these above ground, like overhead shots of these cannonballs, like crashing through the ice. And then you'd go to like some underwater shots of like the horses and these guys just like falling through the water, like struggling to like climb back up on the ice. That's really a crazy, like some like incredible sequences of like this, this battle that never actually took place but that made for like some stunning like cinematic experience uh, that I really enjoyed from, uh, from Napoleon, despite its uh, faults. <laughs> um, like I said, Scott knows how to put together some of those sequences in some of his movies, but that yeah, one was I mean, really well done. I need, I really need to watch Napoleon. That sounds fantastic. And cause I, I mean, his previous film um, uh, with Adam driver and, and Matt Damon, it's called, and Jodie Comer, the last. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't seen the last duel. <laughs> the I last duel, yes. Last Great scene. action sequences in that. Like the action sequences are not the point of that movie, but they're yeah. really good. Um, so yeah, that's that's a good call. Um, I'm looking up one thing really quickly. Okay, I'm gonna blast through a couple more really quick because I I still have a few. <laughs> um, in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the whole. I mean, a lot of things in that movie, but like the whole uh, chase sequence with all the Spider-Man variations, oh, yeah. um, because it, not only is it thrilling and like looks amazing, but the emotional impact of like where it ends and, you know, everyone's trying to write his story for him and like that I found so powerful. Um, so I like that a lot. Um, past lives. I'll, there's so many from that movie, like the conversation <laughs> where they're laying in bed, conversation at the bar. But long I think the take. final, yeah. the long take, yeah, the long take at the end is the choice for oh, me is the really, yeah. really good one. Um, you already mentioned talk to me. The, I think the hand scene where the younger brother, which I already mentioned earlier, yeah. that scene That's right. took my breath away. That was my choice for that one. Um, let's see. Uh, are you going to end up I'll talking about Dixon? I'll throw out the, because I told you about it earlier. You, you have to check it out. But in, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles scene um they they haven't really like tested out their uh fighting and they so they finally like uh get to the point where they're getting like kind of cocky and confident with their fighting skills and uh, the song no diggity like uh oh yeah (laughs) use up in the background is they uh are all kind of like fighting these bosses uh trying to get information from them about like what the bad guy's doing I like the players. No diggity, no doubt. Play on, play at. Play on, play at. 
Yo, drink, drop the verse. And uh, it's a fantastic sequence. It's uh, it's really pretty awesome. Um, yeah, in the in the Mutant Mayhem movie, I like that one a lot. But uh, yeah, the only one I've got left is from uh, Dick's the Musical. Okay, let me do a couple more things, and we can finish with Dick's the Musical. We started with Dick's the Musical, and we're finishing with That's Dick's right. the Musical. Um, but uh, for the boy and the heron, a couple of things: the Wara Wara or the the weird little guys oh, <laughs> from this movie, little, um, and like this. Squishmallows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you always have the weird little guys in these <laughs> these uh, Miyazaki movies, and like the explanation of what they are and where they're going, I thought was really interesting. And I actually kind of I guessed it right before they said it. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's what it is, because it's you're they're in this very sort of ethereal yeah other world, and uh, yeah. So I won't spoil what it is because it's kind of a cool little surprise. But then also the end scene near the end again i won't spoil but he's talking to a character named himi and like the identity you may have guessed at this point but it becomes clear in a moment that it was i found really moving um so that was a cool one and then quickly my two favorite moments from poor things (laughs) are both emma stone performance moments and they're wordless they're just her face the first one is when she's trying alcohol for the first time she like drinks one one drink of whiskey and the, her face is like what you'd expect like oh my gosh what was that but then she tries it again and she makes this like smarmy like pleased with herself drunk little face it made me laugh so hard sitting alone in my house just laughing my butt off of that that scene and then another one is when she's in the brothel and she's only been with Mark Ruffalo at this point. And then she's with this other guy and just the face she makes afterward <laughs> made me laugh so hard too. And it was like, Emma Stone is a, a genius for those, right. those two moments alone. And of course the rest of the film as well. Um, but yeah, very, very good performance from her. So I think that's my whole list. Here we go. All right. So we got, well, the one, the one uh, scene that I've got from Dick's the musical is uh, the restaurant sequence. I thought the feelings all had died But now you're here And now I find I've missed you very much I've missed your hair your eyes, your face, but now you're here, and now I yearn for a tender lover's touch. I feel the beat, beat, beat of your thumping heart. It's just my body telling well, let's do it now because I'm ready to go. You know, I like it rough, so don't you take it slow. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, that movie, uh, you know, has so many good uh, songs in it, but uh, that, that one is just so over the top. Not only in the lyrics that are used, but uh, which I can't repeat on the 
family friendly <laughs> podcast, uh, which probably none of the songs from that movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a single one. But uh, but yeah. that restaurant sequence was uh, like I was I was at work just kind of watching that movie. Um, I, I had put it on because I had no idea what to expect. I was just like knocking out movies, and sometimes when mm-hmm. I get downtime at work, I'll just queue one up. I access to Dick, so I, I just started watching it, and uh, so I'm walking like through the airport, and that scene <laughs> in the restaurant comes up, and I like I couldn't walk anymore, like I just like, <laughs> I, like tumbled off to the side, and so I'm like standing in this like kind of little uh, area, like a store that that wasn't uh, that wasn't uh, open. And I'm just like over there in the corner, just like cracking up, like kind of like knelt down, falling over, uh, because that scene is so wild and just in complete insanity, along with the rest of the movie. But that scene in particular, like I was just yeah. having a ball and just cracking up. I lost, I lost it <laughs> with that sequence. <laughs> Uh, that is a really good one i think for me it would be a tie like the the final song is really fun like the love is love song yeah (laughs) what all that includes is so ridiculous and so funny um but then i I really love just the scene like anything with the sewer boys like i thought it was really funny but i was also like i also hate it (laughs) but but like my favorite songs i think were the ones that were like just really clever like the the one about uh no means yes <laughs> like i told i was trying to explain that to my wife because she, she would not enjoy this movie i thought about showing it to her oh, really? like, no, she's not gonna like it like uh, she would like 10 percent of the jokes i think maybe uh, a little okay. more like, anything that's getting really gross she'd be like um but like she would not think the sewer boys were funny at all (laughs) anyway anyway but like i was trying to explain the no means yes song i was like no no no, you have to understand these are she's like that doesn't sound good these are gay guys making fun of straight guys i want this to work okay but it just feels impossible anything's possible if you force it to be but shh When I was picking colleges, my sights were set on brown. But my scores were all so miserable that they just turned me down. So I went and saw the chancellor to make him think again. And when he still refused, I roofied him and then he let me in. You can't give up when people tell you no. Give up if you want it, make it so. Life's a game of poker, and I only play to win. So if someone says, Don't do a thing, just do that thing again. Last year, I found a car. It's like that layer of it is like that song is just like the songs where it's just them singing back and forth. Yeah. Um, I just was endlessly watchable and I really enjoyed it. So that one, like the, the opening song, uh, uh, they're <laughs> talking about their awesome lives and like going back and forth and competing. Yeah. Good stuff. Very, very funny stuff. Uh, Dick's the musical. If you're up for it, lots of, lots of laughs to be had there. <laughs> 
And I think that's where we can wrap up this part one uh, episode. Thanks for bearing with us listeners for that long episode. I had so much fun talking about this. I hope it was fun to listen to. Um, we are in the next episode going to talk about our 10 favorite movies of the year um, and why we love them so much. And uh, we'll keep that one under two hours. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what we can do. But uh, this went long, but I, hopefully it's good stuff. Um, thank you so much, Russell, for joining as always. And uh, we'll talk to you again for the top 10 very, very soon. Thanks so much to Russell for all the time he's put into this. That does it for this episode. Be sure to tune in next time for part two. We're going to break down our 10 favorite films of the year. And with that, thank you so much for listening to Art House Garage. We have a few years worth of episodes at this point. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Art House Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe or you can email me directly andrew at arthousegarage.com and of course follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening and until next time, Keep it snob free.